0: We'll stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at a message I call Contending for the Faith in Jude 3. Jude 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And may God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. We are returning this morning to our consideration of this small, short book, uh, the book of Jude. And uh, we do so under this heading, Contending for the Faith. We noted last week that the faith, as it's used in this passage... Uh, does not refer to how that we walk by faith or for by grace are you saved through faith but instead uh, it speaks to us of the revealed body of truth uh, that we call the Bible or the scriptures. Jude intended you see to write a short book uh, about the truth of salvation. It would be brief so that it could be easily circulated around and even carried around in a time when books as we know them Uh, Simply had not been invented yet. We might think that when the Bible was finished and uh, that it was immediately compiled into a book called the Bible and circulated to Christians and churches around uh, by the end of the first century so that everybody had a Bible much like today, but that was not the case. It wasn't that way at all. Uh, Bound books did not appear until centuries later. And uh, instead we find Paul referring to the scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13 uh, where he said bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. The books in this passage in Greek is ta biblia. And of course that is the word from which our word Bible is derived here. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. The books. Uh, then and now it was plural because of course there are 66 books that compose the Bible. Uh, parchments refers to books written on the far more expensive animal skins. The former, the books were probably written on papyrus rolls. Uh, the word for the parchments is "lost membranes, tas membranes. It refers then to a membrane, skin, animal skin. It was much, much more expensive. They were very ornate and very valuable. No doubt what Paul had in mind were the writings of the Scriptures. Now, as I told you last week, I wanted to spend some time this morning. Since uh, the faith, as you describes it, is uh, what we understand to be that compiled, revealed body of truth. And it is to us the Bible. It is the Scriptures. Uh, that it would do us some good, I thought, to talk about for a few moments about how this Bible comes to us and give you a little bit of history about it. One of the favorite ploys among those who are attacking the Christian faith today is to challenge the historical dependability of the Scriptures. They're quick to point to the Council of Hippo in 393 and the Council of Carthage in 397 where the New Testament was canonized. That doesn't mean that it was put in a canon and shot. Uh, The word canon, C-A-N-O-N, refers to a rule, a standard. And so what they did in the canonization of Scripture was to uh, submit these these books of the New Testament uh, to scrutiny and to a certain rule. Uh, by which it could be determined that they were historically reliable, that they were authentic, that they had been in use uh, by the early churches. And so indeed the canon of Scripture, the canonization of Scripture, uh, was accomplished toward the end of the 4th century. Many modern critics of Christianity love uh, to point out uh, that these councils excluded many, many books. They did how they decided then on the 27 that are found in our New Testament and that before this time uh, neither churches nor Christians as they like to point out had the scriptures or had Bibles but as is so often the case the information they are presenting is highly selective at best and seriously distorted or flat out lied about at the worst Remember, their goal is to challenge the faith. And there are many in this world today who would like nothing more than to eradicate the Christian faith entirely. And So they've turned their guns on the Bible. That's not new. But the attack on the historicity of scriptures is somewhat new. And the way even that many preachers are joining in this, especially in America today, is Disturbing to say the least. Very few times do you hear these people who are talking about the canonization of scripture toward the end of the fourth century uh, talk about the persecution of Diocletian. Uh, They pointedly neglect to tell you Diocletian, Roman Emperor, uh, conducted the last great Roman persecution Against the Christian Church around the end of the uh, the beginning of the third end of the third century, beginning of the fourth century, around 300 to 303 uh, was when it really tuned up. One of the things that Diocletian set out to do was to destroy the Scriptures, and all the authority and might and power of Rome was sent out across the Roman Empire to go into churches to attack Christians. In many cases. They completely wiped whole churches out and to destroy any copies of the scriptures. Those men knew full well what they were looking for. Uh, They knew the scriptures when they saw them because it wasn't anything new. You see, the apostles had written... Uh, These epistles, like the epistles of Paul, the gospels, all those things were well known. They'd been circulated among the early churches for hundreds of years, for centuries. They knew what they were looking for. Wherever they found them, they burned them. Constantine, of course, came along much more uh, hospitable toward Christian thinking. He would, in fact, commission Uh, a reestablishment of the Christian documents, thankfully, and I can tell you today, not just one or two, but thousands, thousands of those ancient documents preserved carefully, carefully maintained, (laughs) where they had tried to wipe the Bible out suddenly when they called for these manuscripts. Here they came from everywhere. And it was... a Not just one or two. There was a a mountain of manuscripts. Uh, Don't worry about it. Um, There were plenty of them preserved. But there was a problem. Uh, Because you see, while the scriptures had been destroyed. Systematically hunted down and destroyed. In in great, great volumes. There were all kinds of false and spurious letters. They had been known all along. The Gnostics. Uh, were prolific writers and they loved to make up stories. They wrote up alternative gospels and assigned to them the names even of biblical characters, probably the most famous of which is the Gospel of Thomas. It's well known. It's not like there was some great conspiracy uh, like uh, uh, one of the writers in, uh, uh, in, in historical fiction a few years ago came out with and Tom Hanks ended up making a lot of money starring in the movies uh, but folks, that was all fiction. It was not some grand conspiracy to hide all those old documents. We knew what they were. They always knew. You see, the effort that was made to destroy the Word of God concentrated on the Scriptures. But there was a proliferation of all these false documents. And, and so it was necessary after all that happened, after those purges, for them to come together then... And established, I would prefer the word re-establish. What was true, what was authentic, what was known before that purge took place. The work of the apostles, of course, was well, well known. They were in wide circulation and never seriously questioned by any of the early churches, with the exception of Second and Third John. And the Revelation, those were the only books that claimed to be written by an apostle that were ever questioned at all. And of course, their authenticity was settled long, long ago. A man named Eusebius compiled uh, a set set of books, all the books of the Bible as we have it today in fact. In 367, a letter by a man named Athanasius confirmed the 27 books that we have today. Now, this was happening at a time when there were many folks. They weren't so far removed from the eyewitness accounts, the people who saw Jesus and, and who were around then to see Him. And I want to give you a little uh, example in how history works and how things can change along the way. Would, would you be surprised to know that there are many, many people, many conspiracy theories that are circulating right now about the events uh, of September uh, the 11th, 2001. After all, there's a lot of folks that weren't alive then. (laughs) A lot of young people were too young to remember. But I'll never forget. That image is literally burned into my mind, I remember. We've got all these eyewitnesses. And yet in spite of the fact that there are so many eyewitnesses, yet the version of history that we all know to be true is already being challenged because it doesn't fit with the political narrative. Let's take it back a little farther. To a war called the Great War. That was World War I. My grandfather fought in World War I. Now, I don't have a lot of memories of my grandfather. I don't remember any conversations that we had with him. I, he died when I was seven years old. But, of course, my dad was raised then by a World War I veteran. If somebody wanted to talk about uh, World War I or maybe deny that World War I ever happened or anything, hey, hey I've got, we've got a lot of people. They might not have seen it. Nobody alive today, I guess, was, alive, was around to actually see those events play out or at least not very many. Who could give testimony of it the last World War one veteran is gone but history survives there are many people who are still alive who could give testimony to a man who said I saw it I was there you see how history plays out my grandfather's grandfather was a Civil War veteran he would have grown up having an account of someone who was there I saw it I fought in the battles He could explain the things that happened. That's the way history is validated. So that even though a couple of centuries may pass or 300 years may pass, yet there are still people, even within a couple of centuries, who could say, I knew someone who knew Jesus. I was around in churches when these books were read. If something were to happen right now where a decree was passed in this country to wipe out every Bible that every one of us had and all of them were confiscated, all of them were taken out, if somehow by some modern miracle they could find a way even to wipe it off the Internet, which is hard to do, but if they could do it, how far would they have to go to find somebody who could name the 27 books of the New Testament? How far would they have to go to find somebody who could name the 66 books of the New Testament? Do you understand what I'm saying? How history, even though there's a concerted effort to wipe it out, yet history continues on. Truth has a way of continuing. Now, even though then the Bible was preserved, the individual ownership of the Scriptures was difficult and dangerous, and expensive. Before the printing press came on the scene in the 1400's manuscripts had to be copied by hand for an individual household to have a copy of the Bible was amazing. It's a great treasure. Interestingly several decrees in history by the Catholic rulers made owning a Bible illegal. It's just an interesting tidbit. William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English and whose translation served as the basis of the far more famous King James Version in 1611, William Tyndale was burned at the stake. From the 1600s to the 1900s, individual ownership of the scriptures was still unusual, although by that late 1800s it was not uncommon for most families to have a family Bible. They were about this big (laughs) and about that thick. It was in my father's lifetime when Bibles became small enough to carry and inexpensive enough for the average family to buy one and give one to their children. The work of the Gideon greatly, greatly added to the circulation of Scripture in a time when they were still prohibitively expensive for many families. I remember getting a New Testament uh, when I was in uh, the fifth grade. Uh, Some of you might remember getting a New Testament uh, when you were in boot camp. (laughs) They were still passing them out. uh, They may still be passing them out, I don't know. But at one time they were issued... Uh, To every soldier, Gideon New Testament. In World War II, Korea, Vietnam, even for a while in the Gulf uh, Wars. Today the Bible is available in an unprecedented way to God's people. Through the internet, the digital form of scriptures is available online for free and in almost any translation uh, that the Bible has been made in. We have unprecedented access to the Holy Scriptures today. Sadly, there is also unprecedented apathy and antagonism toward the Holy Scriptures. Early Christians had to come to church to learn the scriptures. And after almost 20 centuries have passed, most families still follow that lead. And I'm glad you're here today. I'm thankful to be able to preach to you the word of God. I'm thankful that you came to Sunday school if you did and heard the Sunday school lesson taught and increased hopefully your knowledge and understanding of Scripture. With the unprecedented access that we have to the Word of God today, which has been unknown at any other time in the history of our faith, you'd think we'd study the Bible a little more at home, such as he is. I realize when I give you these uh, tidbits of history, and by no means have I exhausted the subject. If you want to learn more, I've got some books I can recommend to you at the end of the message. Most Christians are content to cite the words of Jesus. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, when He said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He gave that promise. He's kept it. That promise. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. He said heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. He kept that promise too. I believe when we pick up our Bibles and read it in whatever form. Whether it's a book form or whether it's a digital form. uh, We are picking up the very words of Jesus. Jesus. The very words of his apostles as they were inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. And that they are true, trustworthy, reliable, authentic, and authoritative. You might ask, well, what about the Old Testament? You know, one of those amazing discoveries of modern times is the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, as they're commonly called, the... Those Dead Sea Scrolls have shown us the remarkable efforts of the scribes of the Old Testament because in those ancient documents we found confirmation of every single, almost every book in the Old Testament, been authenticated by their writings. It's an incredible work, still ongoing. I felt it important to give this short refutation if you will the most favorite attack levied against the faith the revealed body of truth is they challenge the historicity of the word of god Let me tell you something, when those councils met to establish what books were authoritative, what books had been in use, what books had been recognized by the early churches and the ancient churches, they did not have just one or two documents to go by. They had a mountain of evidence. These books were known, they were taught, they had been preached from and read from in the early churches, and they knew that. There was multiple, multiple sources that could validate that. The books that they rejected, they rejected for a very good reason. They were recognized as false when they first came out. They were false in the the 150s. They were false 200 years later. Guess what? They're still false today. Those works of the apostles were circulated from Ephesus to Galatia to Colossae and went around, they knew, they knew those words. No, people didn't carry around Bibles. But that does not mean they didn't have the scriptures. They did. They might have had to go to church and hear a message or hear them read. But that is exactly what they did say how did they have so much time they didn't have tv <laughs> so when we find the faith under fire jude calls on us to contend for it and i got 3 quick things i want to share with you today and we'll be done first of all he calls on us to present the message of the faith He said, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The word diligence, I gave all diligence to write this. That means speed or haste. Jude was ready, quick, fast, and speedy to speak of salvation. And the first thing when we uh, set out then to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints is to follow Jude's lead. And first of all, talk to people about salvation. Listen, a lot of people don't believe in the Bible for a very good reason. They're not saved. And they need to hear the gospel. It is useless for us to try to debate Scripture or basically much of anything else of a biblical fashion with people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We need to be as quick as Jude is then to talk to people about salvation to make sure they're born again. And when you find someone then that gives a credible testimony of their faith, remember what Jude says. This is our common salvation. When you find somebody that's saved, you found somebody that you have much in common with. In fact, they're a brother or sister in Christ. They might not go to the same church you go to. and may not even have all the same beliefs that you have. But if they know Jesus Christ, then they are your brother and sister in the faith. We have much in common. And proceed then accordingly. And so we present the message of the faith. And that begins, of course, with the message of salvation. Then we accept that deposit of the faith. How that this was once delivered unto the saints. The word delivered, I chose the word deposit very well because the word delivered has that root meaning in it. It's like a deposit. Something that's entrusted to someone else. Like a deposit that we put in the bank. You know, our bank come, our money comes in certain denominations. There's a $1 bill, a $2 bill. I've got one in my pocket, and yes, they are real. A $1 bill, a $2 bill, a $5 bill, a $10 bill, $20 bill, $50 bill, and a $100 bill. Denominations. I don't want to put my money in a non-denominational bank. I mean, you know, the only difference between a one and a ten is a hundred is a couple of zeros. Not much difference there. You see, Paul talks about that deposit of the faith as being once for all. I mentioned this to you last week, once once for all, delivered unto the saints. And long ago, Amos asked a very good question when he said, Can two walk together except they be agreed? I just want to say this, you you can look at the doctrinal statement of dozens of churches in the Cabot area online right now. Not right now, don't do it now, please. But uh, anytime after after church is over, you, you can go to dozens of churches and you'll find that they believe in God. They believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, salvation, maybe. That's about it. If you look at our church and our doctrinal statement, you're going to find it's about 20 pages long, I think with a lot of citation of Scripture to back up what we believe. And why do we do that? Because we understand that there's a lot of differences out there, and regardless of what you call yourself, what kind of name you put on there, or or what, regardless of what you call yourself, there are some issues that you have to settle. Every church has to settle. Every church is going to have to make a decision about how they practice baptism. They're going to have to make a decision about the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? They're going to have to make a decision about how they practice the Lord's Supper. They're going to have to make a decision about what they believe about the spiritual gifts. They're going to have to make a decision about how you become a member. Call yourself whatever you want. But see, those things we call doctrines have a remarkable way of showing up. And the reason why there are different denominations in America today is because we don't all believe the same. Sometimes the difference is about the very gospel itself. Now I'm not telling you and don't don't come out of here quoting me that because I didn't say it. I'm about to say it, but I'm, I'm about to say it negatively. I'm not saying that you have to be a Baptist in order to go to heaven. That's ridiculous. I'm not even saying you have to go to a church that preaches the gospel right in order to be saved because any time anybody picks up the Word of God and begins to read it, there's a good likelihood they're going to see the gospel and they may be saved. Even though they're a part of a church that doesn't preach the gospel straight. But our church spells out our doctrinal beliefs in great detail for a very good reason. We respect the authority of Scripture. We believe that the Bible and the Bible alone determines matters of faith and practice for us. We're going to stand on that. We don't have any denominational hierarchy above us to tell us what to do. We look solely as a congregation to the Word of God as it is led by the Spirit of God to determine for us what is right and what is wrong, what we do or what we do not do. And I'll go so far as to say this, if a church faithfully preaches the Bible and rejects the efforts of culture to dilute its teaching, then that church will be very similar to any other church that faithfully believes the Bible. Preaches it and teaches it. You understand what I'm saying regardless of what we call ourselves? So this whole denominational, non-denominational thing to me is, is just not that big of a thing. I want to know what you stand on the Word of God. And if we'll preach and teach the Word of God and other churches around preach and teach the Word of God, then we'll be a whole lot more alike than we are different. When he says it is once for all delivered unto the saints, that means he didn't give one generation a piece of it and save the rest for succeeding generations to figure it out for themselves. We don't need to discover new truth. We need to apply better the old truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. Then he calls on us, as we contend for the faith, to resist the attackers. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old, ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We call this the great pretenders because there are men who are creeping in into the Christian faith who claim to be Christians but maybe aren't, who claim to be preaching the Bible but they're not. They creep in unawares and they carry on an elaborate subterfuge. That was not unusual, not new. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul warned about a couple, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who he says that their message will spread like cancer. Think about that. The work of these false teachers, he says, is like a spiritual cancer in the body of Christ. And you know, the very essence of cancer, of malignancy, is that it spreads rapidly, moves quickly. Spiritual carcinogens are in the world. He gives us a couple of things that they do that they're known by. First of all, he says, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness simply means unrestrained sin. They begin to actually encourage sinfulness and to permit and to tolerate it. The fact is today that much of the efforts to destroy and undermine the truth of Scripture in our world today is being done in support of the LBGT agenda. We do not stand against that out of hatred or bigotry. We stand against it because the Word of God says it's sinful. We don't say that in order to condemn somebody. Because let me tell you some good news Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Jesus Christ saves sinners. So when we stand against sin, at the same time, then we're presenting the Savior. That's the good news of the gospel. Then he says they deny the Lordship of Christ. Because he tells us that not only do they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, but they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ We see that done today when people began to teach or preach that there's some other way to be saved, some other way to have a relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. And that was settled long ago by uh, the Word of God in Acts chapter 4. Simon Peter would stand and say, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, that this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Here I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Jack Taylor is a well known speaker and author. I read this week a story about him. He was once speaking using a wireless micro- microphone several years ago when they'd first come out. The wireless mics that we had then weren't just prone to mess up like mine did this morning, but uh, they operated on the same frequency. Uh, that first responders sometimes offered, uh, operated on, and CB radios sometimes operated on, and so it was not uncommon. Maybe some of you here remember that, to be right in the middle of a sermon, and all of a sudden you'd hear this voice come squawking in on the microphone. When I was pastor over here at the Calvary Baptist Church in Hazen, it happened over there all the time. I was so glad we finally had to buy a new sound system in order to get past all of that, but we finally did make it. It was back in those days when Jack Taylor was speaking one time, and suddenly out of his microphone, out of the speakers, uh, came the sound of a female voice asking, how long are you going to keep talking like this? (laughs) And without missing a beat, they said, Jack Taylor's answered, until they get it, (laughs) ma'am. Until they get it. Folks, God calls men to preach His Word because He intends for people to get it. I I don't preach it so that people will like it, not even necessarily so that they agree with it. You say, oh, don't we preach it so that they'll do it? Whether you do it or not is between you and God. It's one thing I've learned after 40 years of pastoring God's people is I can't make you do much of anything. I can't even make myself Always do what I want to do. Can you identify with that? Long ago, God sent Ezekiel out to his people, told him all along, they're not going to listen. Ezekiel, they won't hear you because they won't hear me. So what do you do? You stand up before them and say, Thus says the Lord God. God was interested in them getting it. He still is. He still is. He wants us to get it. Get what? Get the preaching of the Word of God. I so often characterize our church by saying, Folk, we preach the old book, the old way. God help us if we ever even think of doing anything else but proclaiming the Word of God and the power of God of the Spirit of God. Let's stand together.